legend lives on from the Chippewa on down to the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald. I'll tell you a funny story about that song. Is uh, the, this past summer, the Wildcats and I and our interns, we went up to the UP Whitefish Point. We saw a picture rock, you know. So I had downloaded that phone on my song. And so as we're boarding this boat to go on Lake Superior, I'm playing the Edmund Fitzgerald song, you know. It was, it, I thought it was really funny. Nobody else did, but I thought it was great. You know, one of the, this past week, we celebrated the worst storm in U.S. history on the Great Lakes. It was the storm of 1913. It happened between November the 6th through November the 10th, this storm. It was called Freshwater Fury, White Hurricane, and it was the worst storm ever recorded on the Great Lakes. It was a blizzard with hurricane force winds, and, uh, and it was the most powerful on November the 9th. It battered ships it overturned ships. The temperature dropped so fast. The waves were so violent. It iced up so quick that the props and the rudders, the steering mechanisms on these great big freighters and barges froze up to where they couldn't even navigate in this hurricane force storm, this whiteout, this white hurricane. The storm, meteorologically, is called an extratropical cyclone. And it originated because there was this warm thing coming up from the south and a northeastern coming from the north. And they just happened to hit at the right time in the right area to where the warmth of the lakes just kind of fueled the, the cool air coming down. The winds picked up, the waves picked up, the winds would gust up to 90, 100 miles an hour, the waves would crest at 35 feet. And this was days long. There was also inland disaster. I, I mean, just towns were, were pummeled. This storm was so broad that four out of the five great lakes were affected. And listen to this. Listen to this. As that 250... 250 people died, 19 ships were destroyed, 19 others were stranded, and plus 31 more ran aground. This was a mega storm of epic proportions. This storm of 1913. Matter of fact, they, one kind of lighthouse kind of tried to capture what it was going to be. And this is what they wrote. The rotating low continued along a northward path, bringing its counterclockwise winds and northwesterly winds already hitting Lake Superior and Huron. This resulted in an explosive increase in northerly wind speeds and swirling snows. Temperature dropped quickly. Ice formed. Boats froze in the lakes. Matter of fact, what, it, what is also interesting to understand is that this hurricane kind of force storm, man, 
It was just announced by the Detroit Free Press the day that everything started. Here was the weather report, I'm sorry, in the Detroit News on November the 6th, 1913. Here was the, the, the weather report announced that moderate to brisk winds for the lakes for the next several days. Storms can kind of come up out of nowhere, can't they? In Acts chapter 27, there is a storm of epic proportions. Matter of fact, you want to talk about your mega storm, turn to Acts chapter 27. Now, for those of you who may not know, the book of Acts is a book that talks about the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ after his death, burial, and resurrection through the early church. And so it's about the expansion of the church. This morning I want to talk about a ship, a storm, and a shipwreck, and a savior through it all. Sailing on ancient ships was rather like human life. Sometimes it was slow, sometimes calm, sometimes dangerous, sometimes even disastrous. But it was always full of surprises. Because without the advance of modern technology that we have, man, you never knew what to expect. Well, in Acts chapter 27, verse 1 and 2, it just kind of seems calm enough. Nothing really seems like it's, it's going on. The ship was full of cargo. We're told that it also had prisoners. And we believe that these are prisoners that were going to Rome to be involved in the gladiator games in the Roman Colosseum. That was much used for sport in that day. The leader of the Roman guard, this guy's name was Julius. He was a centurion. He was an elite fighting man. I mean, he was like no joke. He was the real deal. And he had Caesar's authority. And he had Caesar's power. He wasn't the captain of the boat. But with the force of Caesar behind you, whatever you told the captain to do, the captain said, yes, sir, to you. Julius could be kind at times, and and then there were times where he could be ruthless. I just want you to know that here was a man who had seen it all, and he feared almost nothing. Paul was on the ship. The Apostle Paul is kind of the focal point of the book of Acts, kind of from Acts chapter 12 and onward. Talks about how Paul would expand the ministry of the early church, and he was always about expanding or or pressing out the kingdom of God and spreading the good news of the gospel. He was a theologian. He was a missionary. He was a church planner. He was an evangelist. His heart, his passion was to find anyone on a boat, uh, in a a temple area, in, in a marketplace, anybody, anywhere. He would just engage and start telling the story of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How Jesus is the true Messiah, the Savior of the world, God's only Son, that He died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And on the third day, He rose again just as He said He would because Jesus is worthy of our worship because He is the Son of God. And He said that wherever He went, preaching and teaching. There's also another guy on the boat, and his name is Aristarchus. Aristarchus evidently is a friend of Paul on that missionary team a traveling companion and, and a leader in several of the churches. And you can kind of find his name dotted through the New Testament. This Paul was intent on getting to Rome. 
This was a good thing because he wanted to share the gospel there. Verse 2 tells us that all is well. He says, we boarded a ship from, and I practiced this like three days this week, and I get up here and my tongue gets tied, and so they just left from A-Town, all right? It's an interesting name of a place to get on the boat. The, the, the name literally means harbor of death. Well, let's go take a cruise. Let's leave from Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Let's go to the harbor of death to set sail. That's not very engaging, is it? And they were about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea Aristarchus, a man, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, and he was with us. It was just a calm, normal, load up the ship at the harbor of death kind of day, you know? And otherwise, not much was happening and not much going on. It was a simple plan. You look at verse 4 and all of a sudden you find a little hint. It says, from there we put out to sea again. And if you have a Bible with a lot of maps in the back, you can flip to the map. Or if you've got a smartphone or an iPad, you can text Paul's, missionary or Paul's trip to Rome and you'll find the journey kind of outlined. And so now they're kind of on the second little leg of the voyage, and we notice that the winds pick up. Matter of fact, they not only pick up because if you're in a sailing vessel, wind is your friend, but they were picking up to the point where they had to pass on the lee side of Cyprus. Now, not being a boat person, being very much a land lover, I had to really kind of make sure I understood what the lee side of an island is. And the lee side of anything, the lee side of an island, the lee side of a shore, the lee side of a... You got the idea. It is basically where land protects or ends up protecting the ship or whatever from the winds. And so the winds had kicked up enough to where they say, you know what, if we stay out here in this wind, we may be in a, spit, in a, in a bit of problem. So they went to the lee side of, of Cyprus. Verse 7 and 8 says that it was a slow go. They made slow headway for many days. The waves were picking up and the wind was picking up and it was blowing them off course. And they arrived in Sydney. And when the wind did not allow us to hold our course... And these are expert sailors. This is not like me being out on, on Lake Superior. This is people who know the, the sea. They know this route. This was a common trade route. This was the common way to go if you were going to go from Jerusalem and Antioch and, and what would we know as Lebanon and Syria today and up around. And they would sail that way and stop at different ports of call. And again, they would sail to the lee side of Crete, opposite Siloam, because the wind was picking up and the storm was gaining in intensity. And we moved along the coast with difficulty. The word with difficulty implies extraneous work. I want you to understand, verse 1 is a nice day. By the time you get to verse 8, things are not looking too good. Have you ever just started a day where verse 1 and your day looked good, but by the time you got to verse 8, man, the wind had picked up? You know what I'm talking about? And the waves were blowing, storm had moved in, and you're looking around going, what in the world? This day started, 
So good. Have you been there? Have you started off with a simple plan of a, on a seemingly uneventful day and the winds pick up? No big deal. The rain begins to pelt down. No problem. You've been in rain before. But all of a sudden the waves get rougher and the sea gets choppier and the, the wind is blowing you off course. And you find yourself being pushed off course, especially spiritually. And you're too far out at sea to turn back. And you've passed by the, the only protection. You've gone by all the lead sides of the island that you can find. And now you're just kind of in open water, taking on water. And you look around and you go, things aren't going so good. And sometimes storms happen in our life and we really don't know how we get to the point of things aren't going so good. Sometimes we end up because we took the wrong course, we charted the wrong route, or we sailed on a day that we never should have sailed on. But then you pick up, and now, man, it's hard work, and you are putting out lots of work just to stay focused and stay on course and keep your relationship right and keep your relationship with your spouse right and financially just hanging it and tying it all together. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 is an interesting word because it tells us that every storm has a name. Before very long, a wind of a hurricane force called a northeastern. We still know those, don't we? We have those here. Swept down from the island. This storm had a name. It was a northeastern. It was this incredible storm. By the way, every storm has a name. And I don't know the name of the storm that you're in right now. I don't know how long it's been raining. I don't know how long the wind's been blowing. I don't know how long the winds and the, and the waves have just been battering up against the side of your boat. But I do know that every storm has a name. Maybe some, for some of you, the, nor, the name of your storm is broken relationships. Maybe for some of you, the name of your storm is financial straits. Maybe for some of you, the name of your storm is disappointment. And maybe for some of you, the name of your storm is hopelessness. Because you have fought against the wind and you fought against the wave. And you, quite frankly, are just flat. Have you ever been there? Funny thing about us Christians is we go through these storms every week. Some mega storms, maybe most weeks storms, maybe not of epic proportions. But we all go through, through the storms and then we come to church and we act like there are no storms. I want you to know the great Apostle Paul doing nothing wrong, having no sin in his life, having no issues of the soul, was smack dab in the middle of an epic storm, a northeastern. I was the name of his storm. I don't know the name of your storm. What are you struggling with? What is that thing in your life that just keeps pushing you off course? That is just so difficult to move past. I don't know the name of your storm. But I do know that every one of us here has a storm with our name on it. 
I do know that there's a Northeastern for every one of us. And it's not that, can you live life without the storms? Because the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, right? There are sunny days for people who love God, and there are sunny days for people who don't love Jesus, and there are tumultuous storms for people who don't love Jesus, and there are tumultuous storms for people who do love Jesus. The problem is not staying out of the storm. The problem or the issue is this morning is how do you handle the storms when you're in them? Because we're all going to be in them. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, you find these experienced sailors now doing a lot just to try to stay on top of the game and in the boat. Verse 15 implies they lowered the sails as they were being pushed along and the ship was caught by the storm. and They couldn't head into the wind, so we gave way to it. They just simply said, all right, you win. We're just going to let it push us further out to sea. Verse 17 says that these men began to throw the cargo over the side of the boat. They were taking on water. And so they began to take the cargo. You got to understand the cargo is the way that the sailor made their money. And if you didn't have any cargo to deliver at point B when you left from when you left point A, then you made, you had no paycheck at the end of the day. I'm telling you, things had escalated from calm to mild, from mild to stormy, from stormy to severe, from severe to life-threatening. They are throwing their cargo over the side of the boat. Now a new fear. Look at verse 18. Through the darkness and the storm, their fear that they're going to run against the sandbars of S-Y-R-T-I-S. I think you say it, Citrus. And these were sandbars that all sailors knew about in the waters of that region. Because they, they would reach out and, and sometimes when the weather was really bad, it would, the sand would just be pushed farther out and, 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 the, and the shoal would be kind of moving a bit because the sand would just, the ways the currents would come and push it out. So they were never quite sure where it's at and they really couldn't see because now we start to understand that they hadn't seen the sun now and this is a two-week storm. They hadn't seen the sun for many days. They hadn't seen the stars at night to navigate by. They had totally kind of lost their bearing and they feared that they might be headed for the shallows. And so to lighten the load, they not only start throwing the cargo overboard, but they also start throwing parts of the ship overboard. I don't know how that works. If I'm on a boat, I think I need everything the boat's got. Dude, I don't want to throw anything over. I might need that thing later. They're throwing the cargo over the boat. And now they start jettisoning the equipment of the boat. These men were desperate and they were going more, growing more desperate by the second. This northeastern had come on them like nothing that they had ever seen. And these salty, tough men of the sea were now in fear of their life. They were doing everything they knew to do. Matter of fact, if you keep reading, the Bible says that they tied the boats together. I don't understand how you do that. But the idea is they took this rope and they wrapped it around the the hull of the ship just to kind of hold it and band it and tie it together because the waves were pounding and the wind was blowing and their sails were now tattered and they were off course and they were fearing running aground. I mean, this is not only an epic storm, but now this is an epic nightmare. And you've been there, haven't you? 
You've been so afraid of what's coming next, you don't even look. It just seems like it's one thing right after another, right after another, right after another, with no relief, with no let up. It is just relentless over and over. Now what? And what next? You ever been there? Look at verse 19. 19 is probably the, one of the most telling verses. They kept on taking water. And by the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither the sun or the moon appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. Finally, they gave up all hope. You know, it's one thing to be in the storm. It's one thing to be in a relentless storm. It's one thing to be so desperate, you start jettisoning stuff you need in your life. But it is quite another thing to not see the sun, S-O-N, to not feel his presence, S-O-N, for many days, to where you lose all hope in the storm. And I'm talking to some of you, you've lost hope. You've done everything you can, but you're still taking on water. Financially, you have tried to keep your head above water and the best you can do, man. And now you just jettison stuff out one side and out the other. And you're still taking on water. Some of you are involved in family issues. And as hard as you can try, you've tried to keep your family afloat. And you're still taking on water. And you've lost hope that your family would ever be saved. See, when these mega storms come in these moments of our life, we cannot stop the storm, but we can control what we do in the storm. And I think that's the most crucial element of all. G.K. Chesterton wrote, hope means hoping when things are hopeless and there's no virtue at all as long as... As matters are really hopeful, hope is merely flattering or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to gain strength. Pressure, wind, waves, water, unrelenting storms, long nights, dark days, and you are doing everything you know to stay afloat. And oh, you'd never say it. And but spiritually, because you and I are spiritually correct, we're not politically correct, but we're spiritually correct people. But in your rain-soaked ship, battered soul, with little or no hope, you wonder if God even knows where you're at. And have you ever been blown so off course, you truly wonder if God even cares anymore? See, I can't control the storm. I have no connection to the storm. But I do have a connection to the one who controls the storm. The disciples were on a boat with Jesus and he was... Asleep, and a storm rose up on the Sea of Galilee. Just a, one of those quick kind of summer, boom, storms. The ship was tossed through, and they would take it on water. And these were expert fishermen. They knew the lake, and they knew what it took to survive on the lake. And they thought they were going down, and so they woke Jesus up. And Jesus went to the, to the bow of the boat and said, Peace, be still. And immediately the wind stopped, and the waves became placid. 
I can't control the storm. I don't have a relationship to the storm, but I can have a relationship with the one who controls the storm. The problem is, is when we're in the storm, we focus on the waves, and we focus on the thunder, and we focus on the lightning, and the wind, and the tattered sails, and our whole battered ship. And we feel abandoned and hopeless. And we fail to realize that there in the very midst of our mega storm, Jesus Christ has never left our side. So really, you've got to kind of make a choice. Would you rather be in a storm with Jesus at your side, or would you rather have a calm day without Jesus by your side? That's a tough choice, isn't it? Because Jesus controls one day, you control the other. And really, isn't that the ultimate issue of eternity? Who you allow to control what in your life? In the storms of life, you have a choice, and you can either choose for the storm to be over, and it eventually will, or you can choose the presence of Christ in the midst of the storm. And here's how you choose the presence of Christ in the midst of the storm. Can I just give it to you just kind of really quick? You need to realize that you and I, as children of God, belong to Jesus Christ. And that fact does not change simply because the winds are blowing and the storm is howling and the waves are coming over the top of the boat and you've strung the rope together to try to keep your ship together and you're still taking on water. That does not change who he is. Matter of fact, when hope was lost, look at verse 23. When hope was lost, Paul went to everybody on the ship and he tried to give them a word of encouragement. And he said, gentlemen, last night, the angel of God, the messenger of God, I personally believe that was Jesus Christ, whose I am, amen, I am not the product of the storm. I am not possession of the storm. I am not property of the storm. I belong to, not the storm, but I belong to Jesus Christ. And therefore, at the end of the day, no matter how bad the storm is howling, I'm going to be all right because I am connected to the master of the storm. He said, last night, the God of whose I am and who I serve stood by me. Man, if there's anything I want to share with you this morning is listen, the Lord Himself is standing with you. He's not forsaken you. I'm telling you, there has not ever been a moment when He's forsaken you. Through the calm, through the storm, it doesn't matter. He does not leave your side. You may not be able to hear him because of the noise. But he's there. By your side. I'm telling you what some of us need to do. 
Some of us who've been beaten by the storm and pushed by the storm. Some of us who've been battered and we tied everything together as best we can. And, and we feel like we're just barely hanging on. Some of us need to look into the teeth of the storm and say with resolve and conviction in our heart, do what you want to do, but I'm not moving. Jesus is my Savior. He's with me and I'm standing with him. By the way, let me give you one other thing to do. It's just you reaffirm your faith in God. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 is this really cool verse. And it just simply says, So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 verses 35 and following he says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall suffering and affliction and tribulation or calamity or distress or persecution or hunger or destitution or peril or sword yet amid these things we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us for I am persuaded beyond doubt beyond doubt in the storm, beyond doubt, taken on water, beyond doubt, that my God, he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. That my God loved me so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so I could be with him and he would stand with me. I'm so committed that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be ever to be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. So if you're in the storm this morning, I just encourage you to kneel at an altar of prayer. You say, Jesus, I want you to know I'm still yours. I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up, and I'm not going to give out. As difficult as it may be, I'm doing this thing right. So would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe today in this time of invitation, in the storm that you're in, in the storm that has your name, maybe.